0: believe and become. Enjoy. To earth. I want to give you a uh, a quick commercial. Next Sunday we have something really cool happening. The kids are going to take over worship. It's going to be awesome. So they're going to be leading us in worship. It's going to have a Christmas theme to it, and it's going to be great. Uh, and someone will probably fall down at some point. It's hilarious. So I encourage you, I encourage you to come and support the kids. It's always going to be always going to be great, um, and you're also going to get to hear from one of the premier up and coming preachers, uh, Mr. Eric Robertson. He's going to deliver the word, so it's going to be awesome. Um, But today, uh, we're talking about part two of down-to-earth relatability. Here's the thing. Here's what we're talking about this series, is that everybody likes Jesus. Whenever you talk to someone who's not a believer, the reason they're not a believer is not because they don't like Jesus. Everyone likes Jesus. They're not believers maybe because of the church or maybe because of an experience they went through. Or maybe because of a doctrine that they don't agree with. But, but everyone likes Jesus. He's so appealing. He's so likable. And so we are looking at the attributes of Jesus that make him so down to earth. Last week we talked about humility. And we learned that humility is accurately determining who is in charge. False humility um, is is a false way of of trying to act like we're humble. It's simply, you know, uh, trashing ourselves, denigrating ourselves, and and tearing ourselves down to somehow make someone look higher. But that's not how true humility is practiced. Um, A a quote that I love, and I I actually miss. Uh, quoted this. It's not by C.S. Lewis. It says that um, humility is um, not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis didn't say that, it was actually Rick Warren, so props to Rick Warren for that. Um, And so, humility was one of the things that made Jesus so down to earth. Well, today we're talking about relatability. Now, relatability is not even really a word. Uh, We use it, and it's out there, and it's only recently been added to the dictionary because people were using it even though it wasn't a word. I didn't know that until this week. But I want to talk about relatability. What is relatability? Someone is relatable. Someone is relatable when others have a personal connection to them because they feel understood and known by them. Like, you know this, there, there are people in your life that have come through your life and, and you just intrinsically felt like, these people get me. Like, I, I feel a connection with it. I feel known by this person. This person makes me feel important. And that's what we call relatability. Um, you know, let me put it to you this way. Jesus is relatable. If Jesus were buying you a gift, he would get you the perfect gift because he knows you. Has has anyone ever received a bad gift before? A gift that like, you know, you're like, whoever gave this to me, they don't know me. Um, So I've learned the art of gift giving for my wife over the years. But I made a huge mistake uh, the first Christmas that we were dating. Um, So Tiff's birthday is exactly a week before Christmas, which is... Not good for her. So in my infinite wisdom, I gave her a Merry Birthday Christmas present. Happy Christmas, Merry Birthday present. One present to cover both because I just thought that was efficient. But what it was was a bad idea. And I got her this coat-type pullover thing and, you know, we'd only been dating a couple months, and I still didn't know her all that well. And it was not her style. Not, it was way too gaudy for her. It was just she, and you could see when she opened it, it was like, ah, thanks, <laughs> you know. You know it, why? Because I didn't know her. I didn't know her yet, and I made some mistakes. Just for the record, I have never since given her a merry birthday present again. Yeah. She gets a birthday present and she gets a Christmas present, and usually multiples. Because I've learned that, you know, she likes simple things. She doesn't like gaudy things. Like she, you know, so I've learned what she likes. If Jesus was giving you a present, he would give you the perfect present. He's fully relatable. You are known by him, you are understood by him. This is what makes him so down to earth. Because he's relatable. Let's look at how Jesus was relatable here. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. It says this. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way. Just as we are. Yet he did not sin. So, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence... So, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, the writer of Hebrews is making a really important point. He's saying, okay, so we have a new high priest now. No longer do we have to go through the Jewish ceremonial laws and, and sacrifice animals. Aren't you glad you don't have to sacrifice animals? I just really wouldn't enjoy that, you know? It's like looking at me like, please. I'm like, sorry, I sinned. I'm glad we don't have to do that. Now we have a high priest, but it's not a high priest. See, the high priests back then, they were separate from the people. They were holy. Once they did their cleansing rituals, they couldn't be near people. But we don't have a high priest that doesn't know what we're like, that doesn't know what we're going through. No, our high priest, Jesus, has gone through similar situations. He's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Therefore, we get to come to God with boldness and confidence. Why? Because we know that we're understood by him. We know that we're known by him. Why? Because Jesus experienced life as us. So he's very relatable. I was thinking about this this week, and I began to kind of recount the life of Jesus in it was amazing to me what his life was like. Just let me read some of this to you. So Jesus was born into a difficult family situation. Maybe some of you were as well. They didn't have a lot of money, obviously. They had to, he had to be born in a, in a manger. Um, they were traveling. They, they, uh, it, was a, it was a difficult situation with Joseph and Mary because she was pregnant. While they were still betrothed, they weren't fully married yet. It's the equivalent of our engagement here that caused a lot of problems in their small community. Believe me, everyone knew all about it. So it was it a was difficult family situation that he was born into. He was from an insignificant place. At one point in Scripture, someone says that Jesus is from Nazareth, and someone goes, what good can come out of Nazareth? Like, that place is a dump. Are you kidding me? Um. So maybe you can relate to that. He, now think about this. Now don't get offended by this. But the life of Jesus was unimportant for the first 30 years. You know, we have his birth. And then we skip 30 years where he's a carpenter. He's working. It's not worth writing down. There's, there's no information during that time. He didn't do anything that evidently was worthy of writing down and telling us, because he just lived his life. Maybe you feel that way as well. He was gossiped about. He was slandered. At one point, the Pharisees say, "Well, we know who our father is to Jesus." And that was a dig at Mary. That was a dig at Mary being pregnant before she was married. And they're saying, "Well, you know, we know for sure. Who our father is, and it was just you know they were making fun of him. They were talking bad about him. He was called a drunkard and a glutton because of the people he hung out with. That's 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 a false accusation. He wasn't a drunkard or a glutton, but because he associated with people who needed his help, he was called all sorts of names. He was misunderstood. Maybe you felt misunderstood. I mean, he's delivering someone. He's cast out a demon out of this poor person that needs help. And then the religious people say, well, he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. Ouch. How would you feel if you were accused like that? Your ministry was misunderstood. That, it, it, that The good that you were doing was actually attributed to your enemy. I mean, that's, that's difficult. That's hard. Jesus went through that. Jesus had close loved ones die. We often don't think about this, but you know, John the Baptist um, was beheaded, and John the Baptist and Jesus were close; they were first cousins. And and Jesus, you can actually see Jesus' reaction in Scripture. He goes off by himself; he's upset. Um, so that happened to him. Obviously, you know, Lazarus. Lazarus was one of Jesus' friends. Um, You don't think of Jesus as having friends. You really think of him as having disciples. But he did have friends. and Lazarus was a disciple and a friend. He was the brother of Mary and Martha. And when Jesus finds out that he died, it says that he wept bitterly. I mean, it it was very emotionally moving. He had a very close friend die. Most people don't think about this. But after the birth of Jesus, and after the time he was left behind, he was preaching at a church and his parents leave. We don't hear anything else about Joseph. During his ministry, during the cross, most likely his father passed away. Most likely his father passed away during those 30 years. So Jesus lost all sorts of loved ones, including a parent. He was betrayed. You guys know about Judas, right, that betrayed Jesus. But also Peter, who denied him three times. As a matter of fact... Only one of the 12 disciples were actually there with Jesus while he was being crucified. That's a 90% rate of people leaving him. Ouch. Ouch. This, this guy lived a difficult life. He was falsely accused. He was wrongfully imprisoned. And eventually, he was murdered. See, Jesus didn't live this perfect life that none of us can relate to. He lived a life and he went through things that many of us have gone through. We have a high priest that knows what it's like to be us. So, if Jesus was relatable, how can we be relatable? Well, here's how we do it. We form relationships with people that aren't like us and we share our story. We form relationships with people like us, and then we share our story with them. See, we have a tendency to naturally gravitate towards people who are like us, right? That's, that's, just, that's just our hardwiring. I mean, even in middle school, right? The, the boys sit at one table, the girls sit at one table. In high school, all, those, all the people into sports are at this table, and, the, and the, the musicians are at this table, and then, the, you know, the, the nerds are at this table. Um, I always kind of went between all the tables, always a little bit of all of them, but not very good at any of it. And so, so we form relationships with people who aren't like us, and then we share our story, and here's what happens, is that as you do that, you find out that you have more in common with others than maybe you thought. This is exactly what the father did at Christmas. He formed relationships with people who weren't like him, and then he shared his story. I, I want to share with you really quickly two unlikely groups that God shared his story with. And I think maybe you can relate with, if not, if not both, then at least one of these groups that Jesus shared his story with. And the first one was the shepherds. The shepherds. Um, I'm going to look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 17. It's kind of a larger passage, and so I'm reading in the New Living Translation, um, and so you can follow along um, with us. By the way, in the VFC app, we've got the Bible in there as well. If you go to Sundays at VFC, you'll see there's a link right there. So Luke chapter 2, 8 through 17. It says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, just, let me just tell you this, first of all. Being a shepherd in this time was just not a big deal. It just wasn't a big deal. There were tons of shepherds, because there were tons of sheep. All right. Um, during one of the dedications of uh, the temples in Jewish history, there were like over 100,000 sheep slaughtered there uh, and sacrificed during the opening, the grand opening of that temple. Wouldn't that be weird if we like opened a new mall? All right, bring your dogs. Wouldn't that be weird? Cats. That makes more sense. But, but, but for real, the, the, so there were just gobs and gobs of sheep. So that meant that there were lots of shepherds. I mean, no one grew up saying, man, I hope my kid grows up to be a shepherd. There was nothing wrong with it. But it just wasn't, it's just kind of, it was just a regular, kind of a blue collar, everyday job that a lot of people had. And, and so, so he's appearing to these shepherds, and they're just out at night watching for the sheep. There was no iPhone. There were no tablets. They're, I mean, they're just, they're out there talking. They're out there, hey, don't go over there. Man. You know, they're just watching sheep verse 9 suddenly an angel of the lord appeared among them and the radiance of god's glory surrounded them now it's it's nighttime there's no light pollution they might have had a torch or two with them but it, it's pretty dark and then all of a sudden boom this angel shows up it says and they were terrified i bet they were can you imagine being out in the middle of a field it's dark and all of a sudden, boom, there's this angel. You bet they were terrified. But the angel reassured them don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. You know, it's funny, people say they see angels. And sometimes I'm not so sure. Because every time someone sees an angel in scripture, the first thing the angel says is don't be afraid. You know why? Because they were afraid. Because it's terrifying. Someone just appeared from nowhere, and they're really bright and big. I love that. I think it's hilarious that they, every single time, don't be afraid. But he says, I have good news. It's going to bring you great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly, so just appearing from nowhere angel wasn't enough. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Wow. So God is going to announce the birth of his son, the Savior of the Jews, the Messiah. And he decides to announce it to a group of regular blue-collar, hired hands. They're not even the owners of the sheep. They're just the hired hands to watch the sheep. Not the scholars, not the religious people. Not the people of privilege, the people who were born with the right last name and and who who know it all. No, no, no. To just the regular people. God decides to share his story with them. Why? 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 Well, I think for two reasons. First of all, I think because he was trying to make sure that they got the message that the Messiah was for everyone. It wasn't just for those who who knew all of the scripture, all of the prophecy, not just the privileged, not just the educated. But also, I believe he went to the shepherds because I knew, because he knew that they were willing to share the news. Because what, what did they do? As soon as, as soon as the angels left, they said, well let's go to Bethlehem, and then they saw the baby, and then what did they do? They said, we're going to go tell everyone. I think that's a good lesson for us. I think we need to understand that God will reveal more to those who are willing to share. If you hold everything he shares tight, and you don't share everything he tells you, and you you hold it tight, and you don't share it with others, why would he share more with you? You never gave away what he gave you to begin with. So so I I love the fact that God chose to announce the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds. He was so relatable. The next group are the wise men. Now, in some translations it says the Magi. And I hate to tell you this, but every nativity scene you've ever seen is wrong. (laughs) If it has the shepherds and the wise men both there... Um, that's not how it happened. No, the shepherds did come while Jesus was still in the manger. So he was, you know, he was a newborn still, right? Still had the price tag on him. But, but the wise men didn't come until later, until much later. Um, uh, some think, you know, uh, several years later in some cases. Um, so don't, don't like tear the wise men out of your nativity. It's okay. Like you don't have to do anything drastic, But according to Scripture, uh, they came later. Now, the wise men, or the magi, were astrologers. They were professional astrologers from the East that interpreted astrological signs. Now, I hope this stretches you a little bit. Because most of you, when you look at the horoscope, you think, ah, that's not really a God thing. And you're right. But these guys, it was their job... To so look at the stars, because there's no Netflix, what else are you going to do at night, right? To so look at the stars and then try to determine the future based on those stars. And we have horoscopes today and they're hilariously bland. You're going to have a good day today. Oh, okay, I believe it. Right? It's kind of like fortune cookies, fortune cookies, like have a general message. It it knows me. No, it knows everyone because they're saying general stuff. I I have a life goal. Maybe you can help me. I want to break into a fortune cookie factory one day, and I want to replace all the messages so that when someone's done with their meal, they crack open the cookie, they look at it, and it says, that wasn't chicken. That's just one of my goals in life. If you know a fortune cookie factory, let me know. And maybe we can get that done. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. So the wise men, we're talking about wise men. So the wise men, these guys, these were not Jews. These guys were not on the inside. These, these guys uh, weren't even sure that there was a Messiah. They just saw through the stars that something big had happened and they felt they were being led to a specific destination. So let's read about this. Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12. It says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of, the king, the reign of king Herod. About that time, some wise men, here the Magi, from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Okay, just, I can't spend time on this. You can, there's a lot of ancient history on King Herod here. He was an awful, terrible, horrible human being. He, like, killed some of his own family members because he'd heard a rumor they might want to be king. Okay? This guy was terrible. He was awful, okay? He was really, really, really bad. And so so the wise men show up. King Herod was deeply disturbed. Verse 4 he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law because he he wasn't Jewish. Herod was from Rome. So he calls up all the, the Jewish people and he says, Hey, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, will not be least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time that the star first appeared. So he's trying to piece this together. He's trying to reverse engineer this to figure out where the baby is so he can kill it. Then he told them, the wise men, Herod told the wise men, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Yeah, right. Verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Now, just, okay. It's not like there's this floating star that they're just walking underneath. Okay, What's happening is they're actually reading the stars um, in the sky. It's not like a little... You, you see the nativity, like the little stars like right over. Like that's not how it happened. That would have burned up baby Jesus. It's it's in the sky and they're just following it, okay? It, okay. Just... Your nativity is all wrong is what I'm saying. That's what I want you to take away. And the angels weren't there either because if they were, they would have scared everyone. Okay. <laughs> So, so they went their way. The star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the house. He's not a manger. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Why? Because Herod was trying to kill the baby. Wow. So not only did God reveal the announcement of his son to shepherds, regular, everyday people, but he also revealed the announcement of the Messiah to foreigners, people who weren't even Jewish, People who were using questionable methods to predict the future. Why? Why would he do that? Because the Messiah wasn't just for the Jews. He was for everyone. And in his original announcement, he was telling the whole world, Hey, this Messiah has been prophesied throughout Jewish prophecy. But I'm going to tell a bunch of outsiders because they're welcome too. The other cool thing about the wise men is that they helped objectively verify the birth of the Messiah. Well, of course the Jews said that this kid was the Messiah because they've been looking for the Messiah. No. So someone from outside of their people group came in and said, Oh no, there was a big deal that happened. Something happened. And I love the fact that God used their own pagan language to speak to them. The language of astrology. He used their own language, their own words, to tell them of the Messiah. Jesus was relatable. He was relatable to the common people. He was relatable to the outsiders. He was relatable to everyone. I want to show you this verse. Romans twelve sixteen. It says, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. I feel like some of us need to put that on our refrigerator, right? And hey, maybe you're like, well, I am ordinary people. Well, then don't be too proud or too intimidated to enjoy the company of people who have a lot. See, the world wants to divide us, wants to separate us into the 99 and the 1%, right? Wants to separate us by socioeconomic status, wants to separate us by race, wants to separate us, you know, by all kinds of stuff. But the Messiah came for everyone because Jesus was relatable. And as Jesus followers, we have to strive to be relatable too. It's our natural tendency to congregate with people like ourselves. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to something different. We're called to something better. And my question for you this morning is simple. Is are you relatable like Jesus? Are you relatable? Do you live your life in such a way that you're relatable? Do you live your life in such a way that people would say, well, that person's down to earth. That person I can relate to. I feel known. I feel understood because the Jesus in them knows me. And loves me. And is inviting me into a relationship with him. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. You all know I always like for us to kind of internalize the message and and take a moment. So if you will, just close your eyes. In your own words, under your breath, you don't have to say it out loud. But ask the Holy Spirit this question. Am I relatable? Am I helping this church family be relatable? And then pause and listen to the first inclinations that you have. God usually speaks in thoughts. Sometimes he'll speak in an image in your imagination. And usually it just appears quickly. Am I Relatable. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Where we ask the Holy Spirit to help us. To commit. To not just be individuals, but to be a church family that's relatable to our community. To everyone. Those on the outside. Those who are regular people. Not just those who have the right last name. So if you will, let me lead you in this prayer. Say this. Say, Father, thank you for being relatable. And relating to us Through your son Jesus I want to be relatable Like Jesus was relatable So I want to share my story And share your story To everyday people To those on the outside To anyone you send my way Help me to represent the heart of Jesus in all that I say and all that I do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Eric, will you close us? Hey, once again, thanks for listening to the VFC podcast. If you live in the Thomasville area, we would love for you to connect with us in person. For more information about our weekly gatherings, including service times and directions, Just visit us at bfcthomasville.org.